you have a solid business. Your kids are never going to go hungry. You'll get to go on vacations whenever you want. Everything will be fine. My business, same thing. But if we partner together and we really put all the assets behind both of us to work with the right team, Mm -hmm. our impact on the industry, our local community, and hopefully the, the landscape of Colorado agriculture or whatever we can do, we are going to have more ability to make a positive impact if we work together. A whole new era of communication in the beef industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global beef industry right in your pocket. And what's best, you can listen to all of them while driving to the farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. Contact us for time and labor-saving solutions. DSM Furmanish. Mycotoxins can threaten feed and cattle performance. DSM Furmanish offers a portfolio of solutions to help mitigate the impact of mycotoxins in your feed. Welcome to the Beef Podcast Show a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global beef industry. Welcome to the Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandy Buzzard, and it's my pleasure to bring you the trending issues and topics with the best and brightest minds of the beef industry. Today, we are joined by Jeff Smith, co-founder of Colorado Craft Beef, a grassroots startup direct-to-consumer branded beef business. Jeff earned his bachelor's degree in ag business management with minors in finance and accounting from Colorado State University and has been dedicated to growing he and his wife's business, Colorado Craft Beef, over the past several years. We had his wife, Kara, on several months ago, and they have some great new updates for the business. So looking forward to talking to Jeff and learning some more. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Brandy. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited to learn some more and hear what all you guys have been up to the past few months. Um, to get started, though, for those of uh, for our audience who have maybe haven't listened to Kara's episode or just joining, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the beef industry and kind of your career trajectory so far? I, know I touched on a very small amount of it in your bio, but that's obviously not all encompassing. So tell us, please tell us about yourself. So I grew up actually in Pendleton, Oregon. So home of the Pendleton Roundup, Pendleton Whiskey, Pendleton Wool. Uh, it was always around agriculture. Uh, but my family was, we had a small hobby farm, you know, 4-H projects, things like that. Uh, but we, I always worked for other ag people, whether it was hay crews or working cattle with other people. And as I got further into college, when I transferred to Colorado State, it was, well, I, I'm pretty good at math. I like ag. Well, let's do ag business because you can always find a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that really parlayed into a very odd couple of decades since I left college. I'm 19 years out of college this year, which sounds like an eternity at this point. But, (laughs) you know, I did some time with Cargill in the operations sector on the grain side of things uh, in Nebraska and Minnesota. Uh, Did a lot of capital project work, did a lot of heavy construction uh, back home in Oregon and Washington where we were building everything from you know heavy highway type stuff to light commercial schools or doing massive irrigation projects uh, for effluent off of onion facilities. So just this very diverse view of agriculture, not from a production mindset. Mm-hmm. Then I went to work for a company out of Iowa called the Bratney Company. Uh, they're very big in the grain and seed space. I was a technical sales manager for them for about six years. Uh, prior to having a three to four year stint in private equity, uh, while at the same time we tipped up Colorado Craft Beef and kind of started to apply Kara and I's diverse set of skill sets into you know her fifth generation space in the cattle industry, but also on our own. Uh, that's what's and we're most proud of with CCB is. This is our bootstrapped operation to pay homage to to Kara's previous family generations, not mm-hmm. with not with family money, uh, not with family ground, and we're darn proud of that. So, yeah. uh, that's great. So, yeah. So you know, to any young men listening, uh, marry up and be the ugly one at the <laughs> wedding, and you're set. It's a it's really good life advice. We have a time and labor saving product for you. Beef and Dairy AgriSlat by Healthy Farms is your solution 
No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With Beef and Dairy AgriSlat, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. I love that message. Not the one about the marrying up, but this, the, you know, you guys didn't come from, you know, you said you didn't have the family land or the family money. And I think that's a great lesson. We have such a struggle for people getting involved in agriculture who want to be to really, it's kind of a barrier trying to get in. And so it's great to hear a success story of you guys decided you wanted to do it and you did it. And you, you know, you found your way with this very successful beef company. So I, I was just really great story to hear. I'd heard it already once and I enjoyed hearing it again. <laughs> so, well, you know, to look at it from a realistic business standpoint, because I, I kind of define myself as a business nerd. I don't know that we could have done what we've done with the company with family money. You know, if we didn't have our own corporate jobs to bootstrap this thing and build it to where we got it, you know, how do you go back to the patriarch of the family and say, oh, hey, I need another couple hundred grand. I need another yeah. hundred thousand. I got to buy more cattle. Oh yeah, Christmas didn't go as well. So we're going to sit on inventory for another 60 days. Oh, now we're going to launch this new product. Hey, we need more money. I, I don't mean this in any negative way towards my father-in-law. I love the guy, but that's not his model. Yeah, And it's not being done for him. It's being done for us. And frankly, anybody in the ag space wanting to go a different direction with the family business, that's going to be an uphill battle. Mm -hmm. um, because how do you go back aside from maybe the bank doesn't want to back that type of an operation. So it's very interesting when you start looking at how and why it should or shouldn't have worked for sure. Mm -hmm. Now, that's a great perspective. I mean, that's just the whole like trying to go back and ask for more. That's definitely is not a conversation would be comfortable for either party and definitely not something you want to do if, you know, it's going to be happening over and over again. Like I, I can understand why you guys have done it the way you've done it. I think that makes a lot of sense. So I really enjoyed my talk and the episode that I had with you, with Kara a few months ago. But how, I mean, but that was in September. So we're looking at like four or five months ago here at the time of recording. How have things been going over the past four or five months, just in general? Uh, they've been going crazy. Uh, and we can get into that in a little <laughs> more detail. Uh, but we pulled off some big moves in August. And it was a sprint through the holidays. Um, so mm -hmm. the interesting thing, everybody would typically think you're direct-to-consumer beef is crazy busy in the summer when everybody's grilling. It's actually the inverse of that. It's very busy in the winter because that's when families are home and you could do the beef subscription and there's no vacations coming up. There's no, Life is kind of at, at normal for most families from September to May. Uh, so, you know, we closed, the, closed this deal we did in August and then it was a sprint through Christmas. Um, preparing for some massive growth, getting new products ready while also executing on the biggest holiday season we've ever had, uh, onboarding new, new people, onboarding new team members. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a ride for sure, uh, but definitely worth it. It's been so fun to be a part of that. And then to see what's on the horizon is... It's entertaining. It's scary. It's also incredibly empowering. And that's one of the things I love, like watching our kids watch this. Uh, you know, where we've put the company is somewhere that even good friends of mine from Pendleton, they're very deep in the ag space. are like, how did that come about? I'm like, you know, sleep's overrated. I'll just not sleep for six months. Um, so yeah, it's it's been crazy. And uh, probably the coolest thing recently, uh, a week ago today, we launched our snack stick label. Uh, oh, where cool. we're doing 100% all beef snack sticks. Brandy, I'd be happy to send you a sample. Uh, oh, I love that. And and we've already got wholesalers like knocking down the door. Like, hey, how do we do this? And I'm like, uh, okay, I guess we're going to scale this slightly faster than we had anticipated. And uh, so That's awesome. uh, even, yeah, even talking to our head of marketing yesterday, I was like, yeah, how do you think the first week went? He's like, I don't know that we could have done it any better. Um, yeah, it's, it's been pretty That's fun. So That's awesome. Yeah. It's like I said, there's not a lot of sleep. So yeah. 
Well, let's just jump right into it because we've been hinting around this. And so I'm sure our audience is like, well, what is going on here? So um, I was doing some research for this episode. I was and uh, saw that you guys have you're talking about this exciting thing that happened in August. So let's just dive right into that. Tell us what happened in August and your sprint through the holidays. And now we're in 2024. Let's just get into it. Yeah. Well, so the the deal that culminated in August actually started in March of 2021. So it was about it was about two and a half years from from flash to bang, as many people will say in different industries. And luckily with my private equity background, I was able to ride that particular dragon and wrestle it at times to get the deal through. Uh, but we started this process with trying to take down our own harvest facility. And it's the harvest facility we've used since we started the company. Uh, luckily, the gentleman that owned it was a classmate of mine from CSU. And uh, I affectionately call Kara our cow nerd. I, I am the business and money nerd. Uh, and I'm happy to say we now call Mike our meat nerd. So, you know, <laughs> I, I was a nerd in college, in high school, and I think that's okay. <laughs> I, th- I don't think nerd is a bad word. That's not a four letter word. I'm a nerd. Yeah. I'm very proud of it. I, I don't shake it away. Um, when you say yeah. take down, what do you mean you're taking down? Well, so in the private equity world, taking it down is getting a deal done somehow. Um, okay. The actual the actual deal structure was uh, we at CCB wanted to purchase the harvest facility. Okay. All right. And then it took about the better part of 16 to 18 months to get that negotiated so that we knew how we could purchase the facility. And then we had to go do some fundraising. And, and in that process, uh, we did a lot of soul searching about you know who are the right partners because... The amount of movement in the beef space is crazy. The amount of movement in the direct to consumer space is crazy. But, you know, taking the wrong partner to a deal might sour the whole thing. And Kara and I were talking to some just some money guys that we knew and we still do some business with, but you know, we had to kind of think through, you know, are these guys going to help the mission of the company? Or are they going to be standing there at the end of every quarter going, Hey, let's talk disbursements. And you're like, well, we're trying to scale a company disbursements, maybe a little thin. Uh, are they going to, are they going to help and or support that mission? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, support you would hope for, but are they going to help you drive sales? And yeah. about March, excuse me, July of 22, I was listening to a podcast uh, for anybody that listens to podcasts. I solidly recommend the Jocko podcast. But I was listening to the Jocko podcast and he had Pete Roberts on. And Pete Roberts is the founder of Origin Clothing. Uh, And then Pete and Jocko and a gentleman named Brian founded Jocko Fuel, which is their supplement nutritional company. And I listened to the podcast with Pete and Brian and... Or excuse me, Pete and Jocko. And Pete has onshored his own clothing company. There's a long backstory to it, but in general, they are in Maine. They are buying Texas cotton. They are winding it into their own yarn. They are weaving their own fabric in Maine. They are making their own jujitsu gis. They're making their own jeans. They're making their own boots, and they're re reshoring a lot of American manufacturing. and And hearing Pete talk to Jocko about man, we were told you can't do this. You're going to fight against the big guys. It's just not not going to work. You're in Maine. There's a thousand reasons you shouldn't do this. And he did it anyway. Yeah. And I told Kara, I said, I want that guy. Now, mind you, we didn't know them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but luckily, I came from a corporate sales background. So getting told no is no big deal. Right. And... uh I, w- I told Kara, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reach out to them. And she's like, what are you going to do with that? I said, I don't know. We'll see what happens. That was July of 22. And uh, <clears throat> I'm happy to say that in August, we bought the kill plant with them as investors. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And they, and they brought in a bunch of other great people. Uh, so we have the all the founders of Jocko Fuel... Uh, and then we have, and for anybody that doesn't know Jocko, uh, we in the ag industry, of course, respect the military. Jocko was a Navy SEAL officer. He was also enlisted prior to that. And for anybody that's heard of Chris Kyle, the Navy SEAL sniper, uh, when Chris Kyle was deployed to Ramadi, uh, Chris Kyle 
was two layers under Jocko in the same task unit. So very tied to a lot of what we do. Uh, we've done a lot to to support the military wherever we can with different nonprofits because our argument is, you know, you can wear a cowboy hat in an airport in Europe and everybody knows you're an American. Yes. And I think the only thing more traditionally American than a cowboy horseback moving cows is the American soldier that makes that possible. And getting to partner with those guys has been just crazy. So other people that came onto the team with Jocko, uh, Leif Babin, uh, who was with Jocko in the teams, Dave Burke, who was a Top Gun instructor, also did a lot of groundwork with Jocko. Travis Mills, who is a quad amputee from the 82nd Airborne that got blown up in Afghanistan. Oh, my. Uh, Dr. Sean Baker, uh, actually the carnivore doctor that is mm -hmm. probably the greatest beef advocate in the history of the industry that's never owned cows. I think so, I follow him on Instagram. I'm pretty sure. Probably. Yeah, he wears our shirt every now and then. It's kind of okay. interesting watching the website pop when he wears our shirt. Oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, and then we've got some other private investors. And then our final, uh, not really final, just kind of the way I was going through them. Uh, Chris Cavallini is our final investor. Uh, he is a founder of Nutrition Solutions out of Tampa, Florida. And he's also a Navy veteran. So the vast majority of the investor group that we pulled together are veterans that love American manufacturing, that love American jobs, that love supporting rural communities that all of us live within and are literally watching shrivel up and dry up and try to blow away. And man, they couldn't be more attached to the mission. Not, not the money, not the growth, but what are we trying to do? Uh -huh. And that was a learning curve for me on the deal side that I, I hope to shout from the mountaintops for agriculture because we brought in people that, I mean, the first question of most people outside of ag is, oh, you're scaling this company. Can you get enough cows? <laughs> like, <laughs> cows are the least of the concerns, man. We can, right. cows are yeah. fine. Um, yeah. But man, you start talking about it and they see the impact and they see the food security and they, they also see a big part of our messaging, which is, we don't demonize any sector of the ag industry. You know, it's if it's grass finish or whatever label claim, hey, do you? We totally appreciate that. Um, we, lo we love working with our consumers to engage them with what we do. But occasionally we'll get a, uh, some of our subscribers on the direct to consumer side that will reach out and cancel their subscription. And I always ask, like, hey, is there something wrong? What happened? And the typical answer, is, hey, we found somebody closer to us who want to support them. And I applaud that. Yeah. Because yeah. The, f the famine mindset that kind of encompasses agriculture is really hurting us as a group. And by bringing these guys on and starting to look into different areas outside of what I would call the business norm of agriculture uh, has opened our eyes to a different way to try to do business but also it's allowing us to expand the knowledge of agriculture into groups that don't usually don't see it. Absolutely. That's a very valuable, I mean, we're going to keep, we have a lot more to learn about the partnership. Um, but just the fact that you, that you have all of these people supporting and bought into the process who probably, I, I mean, I don't know them, but probably don't have a direct line to agriculture any other way than through this, exposure to you and Colorado craft beef and the large networks they have. And like, you're talking about how he wears your shirt every once in a while. And that spike sales, like just the exposure that they have to agriculture and the people that they reach. I think that is, it's a tangible, really valuable side effect that isn't the main focus of your partnership probably, but is very valuable nonetheless. I mean, the thing I would love to tell to everybody in agriculture is I realized that profitability in ag has detonated over the last 50 years. You know, from 1974 to the mid-2010s, the profitability in agriculture went from 34% to 14. Oof. So, so it's pretty hard to look at, you know, my father-in-law who's 60 years old, who's literally ran an ag company that entire time and ask him to be optimistic. 
and ask him to be ask him to be positive. I mean, he's watched 50 years of this downward slide, which, in my humble opinion, has produced a lot of the famine mindset in ag. But what's interesting is we don't have to work like that. And what I try to tell people in whatever industry they're in, do good business and the money will follow. That is fabulous advice. Yeah, it's uh, I've talked to sales guys in the you know heavy heavy construction industry, and it's like, well, how much are you going to make on X Y Z machine? And I'm like, no, 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 you're thinking about that incorrectly. Make a good deal with this guy, then you're going to make a good deal with his buddy, then you're going to make a good deal with the other guy, and sooner or later you get the train running and you're in good shape. But if you were worried about hitting a home run on every particular deal, you're going to miss the relationship side. You're going to miss the integrity building that you get an opportunity to do that really is going to pay more dividends than any commission check you may ever see. And, you know, to talk to the veterinarians in the country, that's the same thing they have to do, right? Like you, you got to be there when they call you and it's sometimes two o'clock in the morning and it's blowing sideways and snowing. Yeah. Um, But luckily most of our brothers and sisters in ag remember that. And (laughs) Like, hey, man, you know, I I can count on them to be here. I need to give them back something in the way of more business or maybe a pass on a bill that looks a little high. But if we can remove some of that famine mindset and just work on doing good business as an industry, I think we can get there. And that's one of the things we're really trying to champion is doing it like people in past generations have done may be the correct answer. It may not be, mm-hmm. but just holding on to something for the sake of holding on to it is usually not the best idea. Right. Absolutely. And as we, yeah. And as we build this out and add different things like, you know, operationalizing a harvest facility that's already running, you know, you don't go in there and start swinging a sorting flag, telling people what to do on day one, because right. quite frankly, I don't want to be there every day. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's why you have your meat. The, what did you call him? The meat nerd. That's why you have the him. meat nerd. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and I that is, probably the, I remember meat nerd. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's probably the coolest part of the deal is as we got the deal done, just to kind of cap the thought on the famine mindset that kind of hurts some of ag. He asked me, you know, I, I had to ask him three times if we could buy the plant and he told me no, the first two. And then finally he went and had a cup of coffee with me and was like, what is your deal, man? What do you want to do this for? <laughs> and one of his questions was, yeah, what am I going to do? I mean, he's my age, right? We're both early 40s. And he's like, what am I going to do if you buy this thing? And I said, well, I don't want you to go anywhere. I said, because I don't have the skill set to do what you do, nor do I care to learn it. I need to go do other stuff. And when he and I really sat down and you know put the, put the rubber on the road, I said, look, man, you have a solid business. Your kids are never going to go hungry. You'll get to go on vacations whenever you want. Everything will be fine. My business, same thing. But if we partner together and we really put all the assets behind both of us to work with the right team, Mm -hmm. our impact on the industry, our local community, and hopefully the the landscape of Colorado agriculture or whatever we can do, we are going to have more ability to make a positive impact if we work together. And I'm happy to say that that worked. Uh, he is crushing it. The whole team is crushing it at the harvest facility. Uh, and you know, we, we closed on the deal on a Wednesday, Thursday morning, everybody was rehired under a different company name. We never missed a day of production. USDA licenses are transferred. Everybody's excited. You know, it's, it's been so fun to show people that you can make big deals in rural America and make them good for everybody. If you're yeah. willing to play ball the right way. That's great. I'm getting chills about this. This is awesome. That's so great. Okay. So we're to the point now where you have um, purchased the harvest facility, right? And so I know there, that that's, there's more to it, right? So you talking about in August, you did that and you've been just like a sprint through December. So bring us up to speed with that, with, You've got the harvest facility transferred over or, you know, through the purchase process. You've got Jocko on board. Like what's been happening since then? So the fun thing in business is everybody thinks the day you take over the the reins of something, you're just going to start turning the boat. 
And it's usually better to not do that. So basically to get through Christmas, we all just put our head down and did what we've always done. Um, you know, our sales were higher than they've ever been through the holidays. Uh, our metrics of growth are really incredible. Uh, trying to make sure, you know, we did like a safety audit. We threw some budget at more safety equipment. We threw some budget at retraining. Uh, mm-hmm. We threw some budget at uh, some just ba- general updates. And then actually a month from next week, we're doing a full-on medical training and bringing in a medical guy that we know. And we're going to do a stop the bleed class and a new CPR class. And people are like, why? I said, why not? Like, yeah, we work, we work around knives. Like y'all work yeah. around knives every day. Uh, we're, and we have our own feed yards. So we're bringing the feed yard guys over for that, like crush injuries, equipment injuries. And it costs a little bit of money. I get that. Yeah. But the why is because you could save someone's life with doing it. 100%. That's the why. Yeah. yeah. And, well, jokingly, I, I asked the guys at the Harvest Store, hey, what do we have for a first aid kit? Oh, we go get one once a month at Walmart for nicks and cuts. I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> I have more stuff in my range bag than y'all have yeah. at the plant with 20 people. We need to think about that. And so trying to turn the, the boat on that culture, you got to do it a little slow, right? You can't just go in there and just go hard 90 to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the last hundred days or so, since the deal was executed, uh, we've really started gaming out the next few years. We launched the snack sticks. Uh, we're doing some R and D on new projects, uh, new products, especially, uh, that are going to start dropping. Actually, we have a product drop scheduled for a week from today, or excuse me, a month from today on a brand new vertical that's outside of anything we've done since. Can you tell us about the product or are we just going to be teased with it? I think think we're going to be close enough now. I might get some heat from the marketing team or my wife who's through that wall. But uh, <laughs> we are actually going to be dropping pet treats. Wow. Uh, so we're doing, we're doing freeze-dried organ meats as pet treats uh, because we're able to utilize more of the animal out of the harvest facility. Uh-huh. Um, and as we operationalize that, some of the plan is actually to compensate because in the harvest facility, we aren't the only harvesters in there. We have other, even competitors of Colorado craft beef harvesting in our owned facility, um, <laughs> which is you're great. But your competitors, you're, I mean, you own it, but that's, that's a fun twist that you're harvesting your competitors animals. Well, and the first thing we did when we took it over is we called our major competitors and said, Hey, we want you to hear it from us first. This is what's going on. We do not intend to, ha- to toss you out of the facility. We actually want to sit down and see what we can do to help you grow your business. And that I think came as a bit of a shock. Like, oh, I'm sure. Why, yeah. Why would you do that in agriculture? I'm like, guys, I know what you harvest. I know what I harvest. And let's be fair. We can't together feed all of Colorado. There's plenty to go around. There's no reason to not try to work together. Uh, so in that, with some of the modeling and some of the financial stuff we're able to do, we're going to start giving kickbacks to our cattle or cattle harvesting clients so that we can retain stuff they don't want to use and put it in a different market to pay to pay homage to those cattle that are making the sacrifice for all of us. So if it's, you know, going into a pet treat market or you know going into smoked bones or some other product line because as an individual you really can't generate enough of that material to really process anything, you're just going to create a mess. Um mm-hmm. But now we can actually take some of the financial benefit and share it with our customers. Um, yeah. You know, there's no reason to be greedy. Uh, and mm-hmm. as we go, that's really our hope with all of this. Um, so to any of the cow-calf producers listening, one of the things we really want to do is integrate with some cow-calf producers. We do not have a mother cow herd. We will never probably have a mother cow herd. Our ranch is in the sand hills. We have no irrigation. We have no hay ground. We don't have anywhere to mother cows. It's just, or to winter cows, excuse me. Just doesn't make sense for us. So we want to partner with the right cow-calf operators that want to have a forward-thinking mindset. Hey, do you want to partner on cattle? Do you want to do some other stuff? Do you want to use your genetics? Because now we can take your calf crop. We can weigh them at our feed yard as weanlings. We can give you back their data. We can tell you which one's gained. We can track it back to your numbers so you can now make some cattle herd decisions with that. And then we can track them all the way through harvest and tell you how they're grading, how they're gaining, all the things that 
the industry as a whole really needs, but cow-calf operators are the last ones to get it. <laughs> because the, I mean, the big, the big system that is commercial agriculture isn't designed to give that data all the way back. Right, um, exactly. And that's not a knock on it. That's just how it is. When we're harvesting as many cattle as we are as an industry, there's just only so much you can do. Uh, so we're really looking to find ways to optimize the industry to give back in meaningful ways. So we've started using some genetic testing technology to start uh, genetic testing these cattle and then comparing it to what they're telling us it's going to be because compared to most people, we're going to have more weight data. Now we have carcass data. How does that all come through the system and how do we maximize, excuse me, not maximize, optimize the potential of these cattle in the least intrusive way possible? Mm -hmm. Well, and I imagine going back to the the organ meats and the pet treats, which is very exciting. Um, I imagine that you're able to get a higher profit margin on using them on pet sticks than you are where the normal way that you, you know, you get income from organ meats is exporting them, you know, to other markets outside of the United States where that meat, those products are more highly um, <clears throat> demanded. So that's just, I mean, I think it just speaks to the ingenuity of you and Kara and your company and your partners of just thinking of ways to, use what you already have and make new, more, you know, profitable things off that. I think that's great. And you're right about the, um, I was just sitting here thinking as you're talking about, like you told your competitors, Hey, we're in a own the plant. Like that's probably the last thing that they expected was to be able to stay harvesting there. But I mean, what a wonderful example of like a rising tide lifts all ships. I mean, that's just, you just laid that out for everyone. I just, I think that's a, it's, I just applaud you guys. It's a wonderful story. Um, a wonderful path that you're taking. I just, I'm applauding you from, you know, 10 hours away. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it's that mindset that I really want to work on within ag because we, we all have an opportunity, but if you're in a full price taking model, it's hard to be optimistic. And there are opportunities out there. And if there's any one sentence I could share with the rest of ag, there's so many people in agriculture that worry about how much money the next guy is making on your deal. That kills deals. Make a good deal for your operation. Like I'm writing down so many things. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you are concerned that you're selling your calves for X and the other guy is making $5 a hundred that you should have got, I get that. I'm not trying to be insensitive. But if that sub $5 number that you got is still profitable for you and you can still run your business with that, don't detonate a good deal in a relationship with the worry that somebody might make a little money too. Because we all have to make money. If you are a commercial yeah. calf operator, you got to make money to pay the bills. Like it's funny, cows, cows cost money. The lights in my office run on money. They don't run on hopes and dreams and philosophy. Yeah. Um, but so many people in ag are worried that the next guy is going to make money on them, which let's be fair. It happens. It just does. There are some people that are, that you just don't do business with in a certain region because you do know the reputation, but find good partners and make good deals. Don't try to hit a home run every year. If you go make solid business deals for 10 straight years, you're going to be better off than crushing it one year and being mediocre for the next nine. And that, that inclusive mindset and that partnership mindset is something that really escapes a lot of the commodity market. And, and I'm not saying that that's even possible in all scenarios because some people just don't want to do business like that. Uh, luckily, with what we've built, we don't have to do business with those people. Yeah. I mean, you've really made your own way so that you can be, you know, be selective with the deals that you are going to make because you have built this business from the ground up and you are working with the people that you want to work with based on your ideals. And I think that that's great. That that's just awesome. Um, so are we going to, so I know that they, they helped you buy the harvest facility. Are there going to be like Jocko, times CCB branded products? Like, is that the end goal? Are they kind of like silent investors? Is that yet to be determined? Like, is there going to be like a 
Jocko brand beef stick. I, I don't know. Like, uh, you know, what, what more, I guess, what are your big dreams? Like uh, five years from now, what do you hope has come out of this further down the line? Um, I don't know if I could tie it to a business goal. Uh, at this point, there's so many moving parts. Uh, the nice thing is Jocko and Pete and everybody else involved. They're like, Hey man, you guys know this. Do you tell us what you need? The coolest leadership statement in the history of business, right? They're not, they aren't going to show up and be like, well, you should do this differently. Be like, sweet. <laughs> Happy <laughs> to do that. Why is that cow laying down? Well, he's sleeping anyway. Um, <laughs> but you know, there could be some collaborations or could be some go co-branded product for sure. Uh, but I think if Kara and I have a goal, uh, like this morning, we just got an invite to speak at a, a meet summit in Montana about the same stuff. So if, if I had to say a goal, it's that we can operate the business in a way that is functional from a business standpoint, but that also gives back to the industry that shares yeah. what we're doing that, that helps us to understand more about our brothers and sisters in ag across the country. Um, because frankly, most of the negativity we receive within the company is from people in ag. We, we as a group tend to shoot inward. I'm sadly not shocked at, by that at all. I see it in my line of work. I see it every day and I agree with you and I'm very sad to agree with you about that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I cannot begin to say what a cow-calf producer in Arkansas should be doing. I just can't. Um, I've been exposed to a ton of agriculture across multiple continents. And I know that I know nobody else's model, period. I have an idea, but I don't, I don't make judgment on how somebody does something. Um, and I think if I had to have a philosophical goal for the company, an ability to help champion that type of message to help us, you know, protect our own and be more cohesive as an industry is probably my greatest hope for all of this. Um, and not just, not just the cattle industry, but ag as a group. Um, you know, our, our feed yard manager is awesome. And, and when we brought him on, he basically runs the yard by himself. We have a couple hired people that'll come help him process, but it's a small mm -hmm. yard. Yeah. But he considers it an opportunity. That job to him is an opportunity. I want to provide more of that. Yeah. All the business stuff be darned. It's got to make money. That's just functional business. I get it. But, you know, my goals are to help lift people in the community, help show kids they can do a different thing. Uh, they can get creative with how they do some of this stuff. Uh, actually, a little sidebar, a good friend of ours is a ag teacher for the one of the largest ag uh, groups in Colorado, uh, one of the largest FFA chapters. And I called him. I said, hey, I want some aluminum display boxes for our meat sticks to send to some of our wholesale clients. And he's like, cool. And I said, I text him a schematic and he goes, yeah, we can make that. And I, and he goes, but you know, if you could come in and make this a project for our FFA group and talk them through the manufacturing math and how you are looking at this from a business standpoint and help them estimate it from your construction background and help them understand and understand the manufacturing and how we make this simple and where you can lose money. Boy, I could get you a way better deal if we can add some educational value. I'm like, I got you, man. Let's do that. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it, maybe it's too philosophical, but I feel like we need more people in ag that are trying to rally the troops, not yell at the neighbor. I, that is the quote of the, the year right there so far. Rally the troops. Say that, don't circle the wagons. I think that yep. that, no, don't no, rally in, the troops. I would, say, yeah. I would say don't circle the wagons and shoot inward. And yeah. so that's, that's phenomenal. I, I'm, I wish I had another like hour to talk to you. This is just, this has been really great. Um, everything is so optimistic, right? Like you guys have this abundance of optimism about where this is going. And I think you should have every reason to believe that. 
I mean, do you have any, I mean, have you had any unique challenges like between, you know, between when you contacted Jocko and his group to now, like what's been the biggest challenge of that process? And then I promise we'll get to our end questions and I'll let you back to your day. I just, I'm so like excited and inspired by what you've been talking about and your business model. And like, it's just, it's just all very inspiring. And I hope that our audience is just like nerding out about it as I am, because it's just been a wonderful, I've so enjoyed talking to you about it. And I'm going to shut up now so you can actually answer the question I asked. No worries. So the biggest challenge of just getting the deal done is getting deals done is hard. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people don't see deals like that. You know, me coming from private equity, I have a, a different vision on business because of what I've done. But for anybody listening in the private equity world, which is, you know, private investment, investment banking, venture capital, that kind of all falls under the same umbrella. There's a lot of different definitions. But a good metric to understand is if you are working in private equity, you will, and you look at a hundred decks, a hundred pitch decks of deals you could look at, mm-hmm. you might want to do 10 of them. Okay. And of the 10 you want to do, you might get one done. They are hard to do. There is a thousand ways something could go sideways. It could be legal. It could be money. It could be someone at a death in the family and they're out. And that just detonates everything. So getting a deal done requires more patience, more have more cortisol than I've probably ever needed in an entire lifetime. And I've done other deals, but this is the first one I did with, you know, a significant portion of my own stuff. Yeah. But it, I mean, I had to resist the urge to call people and be like, Hey, where's this going? Hey, what are we doing with this? Uh Uh, Where are we moving this ball? What are we doing here? And, you know, I had to, I had to learn that not everybody loves your project as much as you do. Right. Yeah. And that sucks. That is a hard thing to swallow. I mean, great example. Some of the best veterinarians I know have a business manager that is not a veterinarian. Okay. Because you need a business manager that's running the business because I love my veterinarians. Some of them are bad business people. Yeah. I, um, my, uh, my mother-in-law and one of my sister's-in-law they are both veterinarians and they both took like business classes and call, you that's know, that's the anomaly, called. right? Yeah. I mean, that's not, and I went to school at Kansas state university and have a lot of friends who went through vet school and the piece of advice that they had received from people when they were talking about like, we're going to go run our own, we want to own our own practice or something was like, take business classes, you know, get some of that. And so that's just a, an, an you know, a, a tangent, an allegory with your story, but you're right. Not everybody who like, Doctors usually aren't the ones doing the books and the scheduling and the no, accounting and, or the doctor's office, bash, right? Yeah, not to bash on the on the veterinarians. The, the actually probably the worst business people I've ever met are attorneys. But some of the best attorney offices I've seen, some of the best law offices I've seen, have an office manager that helps them determine what what uh, cases they're going to take, how they're going to bill, because if you're so good as an attorney that you went through law school and you did all of that work to become an attorney and you specialize in whatever sort of litigation you want to do, you probably weren't able to spend enough time looking at tax code or optimization or business structure or planning of your assets or any number of different things. So the more specialized you are, the more you need help. And it, it kind of seems the other way because, hey, I'm great at automatic machine control on my tractors. Okay, well, what are you missing? Because nobody can be good at everything. And That's I think right. that, is, that is probably the hardest thing in ag is like our marketing guys are outstanding. And I attend about 10% of the marketing conversations because that is not my jam. There yeah. are other people for that. And mm-hmm. I will send financial snippets that I'm like, hey, guys, think about this. Uh, we're overstocked on X, find a way to move it. But you have to let people do their job. And that's another hard challenge within agriculture is not wanting to micromanage. Oh, yeah. Because it is all so different. Yes, it is. 
And we are in agriculture, we generally have to serve more than one role. I'm sure you've heard the seen the saying that like a farmer or rancher is, you know, as a bookkeeper and an agronomist and an and an and. And to some extent that is true. Um, because we have to fill so many roles, but you're also on the other side of it, you're exactly right that like we can't be an expert at everything. It's just not possible. And I didn't mean to speak badly of veterinarians. I hope that's not how it came across. I just, you know, like I, I remember I, I was, um, my husband was pre-vet for like the first two or three years of college. And, and like I said, he, he got that advice. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law they're I mean, they're savvy with business, but they spent time devoted to that part of it, you know, like making sure they had some, and some knowledge of it, of, um, of that facet of the business. So I hope there's no veterinarians listening thinking that I was like bashing that profession because I was not. So, um, no, I think, I think the biggest challenge we have in our business, in anything everybody's doing is we have to be able to get out of our own way. And sometimes that means admitting you need some help or yeah. turning down a contract or restructuring something else. Because the hardest person to be honest with is the person you watch brush their teeth every morning. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. Um, I actually watch two little people brush their teeth every morning. And it's not hard for me to be honest with them. But I also know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. I'm just being facetious. Exactly. Um, that's great. There's been, I have filled an entire piece of paper here with like notes that we have in quotes from this. This has been a phenomenal conversation. We'll do some co-branded t-shirts. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to probably tweet some of these out <laughs> throughout the coming days. So um, I have one last, so I would love to talk to you again. Like I said, I could, I'm probably going to email you and Kara and pick your brain about some things. Uh, Cause I'm just so inspired by the work that you guys have done and how you've just built this business. Um, this is almost a silly question. I almost feel bad asking this and I don't ask this of every guest, but when you aren't working and completely devoted to CCB and growth and opportunity making, do you have time to fill your time with any hobbies? I have one hobby that I I am diligent about trying to get to when when able. Uh, I've got a lot of other side hobbies that I've kind of turned into business ventures or by sponsoring strategic <laughs> companies and getting to go to their events. Uh, but actually, probably the coolest part about the partnership with Jocko is uh, when our oldest was born right before COVID. Uh, I was about 75 or 80 pounds heavier than I am right now. And I said, Hey man, I gotta, I gotta change some trajectories here. I had to be, you know, brutally honest with myself. And I took up jujitsu uh -huh. and it was about two years later, I started talking to the Jocko guys and they are big in the jujitsu world. Uh, so I, I, I choke my friends and, you know, get choked for a few hours every week. <laughs> and, uh, I, I promise if you ever see me and my arms are bruised, it's not because Kara hits me with sorting flags. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's, I spend a lot of time doing jujitsu and it is a uh, very mental, it's very physical from just a calorie burn standpoint, but it's also very strategic. You're, you're very strategic in where you want to be. So I, I've, I've described it to some people as, man, when I leave the jujitsu gym, my whiteboard is empty. Mm -hmm. Like any of the crap I've been dealing with, if it's a bank issue or an employee issue or a cow issue, or it's 20 degrees below zero and everything's gelled up, uh, yeah. <laughs> which was only like three weeks ago. I know. Um, I'm really glad that those are not knock on wood. I'm so happy to have above just above zero is just a blessing in February right now. So yeah. Anyway, so that, that keeps me clear enough that I can kind of stand up and and do what I have to do the rest of the week. Um, and it's that physical exertion that clears you out. But also, if you're not fully immersed when you're on the mats, you are going to get choked. Full stop. <laughs> so I so you learned that... I've never done jiu-jitsu. Uh, Kara's actually getting into it. Um, mm -hmm. The bad part is she's got a lot of Irish heritage. So she's a little more naturally aggressive than I am. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad that I've got like three years ahead of her. I can kind of hold her off as long as she doesn't go full spider monkey. There you go. That's great. I think, I mean, that's phenomenal. I I'm so happy that you hadn't answered that. I think this is my personal opinion is I think in agriculture, we get so laser focused on the farm and the ranch and we can't leave and we can't do this. And I, I, that we just, 
we get burnt out and so stressed out and like you need time like other people who work in corporate jobs like i had a a full-time corporate job until the past you know until early in 2023 like and that's why you have vacation time mm -hmm. and you get off from you work from eight to five in a you know in a corporate world and i know it's not feasible for us in agriculture and production act to work you know to have eight to five hours i understand that but i think it is so valuable for our mental and physical well-being and our emotional well-being to have something outside of the business to like a hot jitsu. I love to run. I rodeo, you know, uh, my husband coaches a youth livestock judging contest. You have to have something to get away, clear your mind. And so I applaud you guys. I, I applaud you for that. I find that very admirable. And I hope that more people, you know, as we go on, I hope more people will prioritize their, their hobbies or their mental well being or, or something to give themselves a break. So again, this whole episode is just an applause for you guys. <laughs> Thanks. I think the hard part for agriculture, especially those of us in heavy production agriculture, mm -hmm. is you pride yourself on not doing something else. You wear it as a badge of honor that you are that busy and that buried and unable to whatever it is. We've got to change that. As I an agree. industry, it's unhealthy. It's you you you're you're literally sitting in the same mud puddle every day, complaining about said mud puddle. Well, let's be fair. It, it's, it can be hard, but we are very blessed as a group. And going outside of that you know, metaphorical mud puddle I'm talking about and getting a different perspective to come back and really enjoy the lifestyle we have is important. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, this has just been such a great, great episode. I'm so excited for people to get to hear this. It's time for our famous three. So sadly, I have to wrap this up, but I have our three wrap-up questions we ask every um, every guest. And so the first, and just audience know, I, I gave Jeff a heads up on these, so I'm not making him answer them off the cuff. So what is your favorite beef or cattle-related book or resource? So it could be a podcast or a website or something like that, too. I talked to Kara. That's my <laughs> that's my cow resource. That's why she's the cow nerd. Um, and I... Uh, I wait for her to send me articles that I need to be privy to. So for those of you that don't have a Kara, you should find one. Um, but when she wants to know about tax structure and finance and all those other things, I'm her person for that. So the, the mutually, the mutually complementary skill sets uh, really help our business a lot. Uh, and it's actually, you'll laugh at this. The number of people that I run into in town, they're like, Hey, are you guys buying calves? I'm like, Hey, you got to talk to Kara. They look at me like I've lost my mind. Like the odd, the thought of the woman in a relationship being the cattle manager. Yeah. It's just so bizarre. And I'm like, why would I be? She has a master's degree in ruminant nutrition from WT, one of the most prestigious ruminant spots in the country. I don't need to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to her. And then she will put a cattle plan together. And we as a team will figure out the monetary side of that, see if it works. That's great. Yeah. You are the first person I don't, I've interviewed not hundreds of guests, but you're the first guest I've ever asked to do you have, what's your favorite beef resource? And you've said a person. And so I have, I just love that. And it's your wife and just again, cheering for CCB for all the way from Eastern Kansas. Um, okay. What is a book or I will say a book or resource that is not related to the beef industry that you are either reading or consuming? I am very invested in listening to different podcasts because it's such an easy medium. I would recommend podcasts and audiobooks for any of our friends in ag. We all have a lot of windshield time. If you're listening to the radio, you're doing yourself a disservice. Um, you can listen to Rogan and you'll probably get mad at some of the things he says, but listen to the conversation. Um, or I go through Rogan's podcast and I delete some of the comedians or people I don't want to listen to. But find ways to get data from outside of our our own little spot. Um, you know, listen to Brad Lee, the finance guy. Listen to Ryan Pineda, the real estate guy. Um, but probably my favorite book in the history of any book I've ever read is a book by the author Andy Andrews, and it is called The Traveler's Gift. Okay. I have Are probably given out. Uh, well, I don't want to give away too much. I've probably given away 50 copies of that book. One of my 
very respected mentors gave it to me when I was going through a particular rough patch in my early career. Uh, there's a little bit of faith stuff in there. It talks about personal ownership to a certain degree, but it's a very, very fun historical story told read that I physically can't put down when I start reading it. I'll, I mean, I probably read it a dozen times, mm-hmm. um, but you know, shout out to Jocko. He also has a ton of books out there that I would recommend for anybody in ag, um, extreme ownership, dichotomy, of leadership, the type of stuff that we in agriculture really should be imparting on our employees and imparting on our industry um, to maybe keep us above the line with our other producers. Mm-hmm. I love that. I wrote down that the traveler's gift and I can remember Jocko. That's a pretty easy name to remember and go to, I found his website earlier, so it shouldn't be difficult to find it and find well, his books. Actually probably the coolest thing Jocko does. He has a podcast. He does a lot of stuff as well. He mm-hmm. has the Warrior Kid podcast and the Warrior Kid book series. And uh, Emma's four. And we're about to start going down that path with her to talk about, you know, kids being resilient. And I mean, just some cool stuff. Um, mm-hmm. We've got access to more data in the history of, in the history of mankind. We need to be using it. Mm-hmm. That's great. Awesome. Okay. So the last, you know, rapid fire question here is what is a trait of someone you look up to or admire that has enabled them to be successful? So this is a two-part answer. Okay. I always admire somebody that loves accountability as long as they are willing to hold themselves accountable as well. Yeah. It's really easy as a manager or an owner to look at an employee and hold them accountable with your finger pointed at them, right? Right, yes. If you're not willing to, air quotes, hold people accountable while considering yourself part of that people community. Yes. uh, I have a hard time with that because accountability is great, but you've got to hold yourself accountable to a higher level than anybody else. And anybody that's willing to do that, to take ownership and say, yep, see that thing over there? I messed that up. Um, yeah. I mean, just just recently, our head of marketing and tech, uh, he is a retired Marine machine gunner. So very interesting for a marketing guy to be a retired Marine machine gunner. Uh-huh. And, and we did a, a leadership stand-up earlier this month with myself and Kara and him. And he said, hey, man, we've instituted some of these new software policies. You're not following them. I need you to step up. And I said, wow. you're right. I said, That's you're right. I, I need to figure that out. And, and I got it figured out. That's the kind of people you want. To- yeah, you, but you got to be willing to take that criticism. Yeah, absolutely. And as a leader, um, I, I actually I took it kind of personally in a good way. I was like, I really let him down. What do I do to make this better? And and here we are. It's you know that was a few weeks ago, and and I was like, hey man, I'm really sorry. Like I apologized to him a couple of days later, and he's like, no man, it's cool. He's like, I just wanted you to see that like it doesn't look as good. If you're not in the mix, I'm like, I, I cannot argue that. Yeah. And I'm not saying that was an easy thing to do. I kind of felt like a big sack of crap for a couple hours, but you got to eat it. And, and when you eat it like that, well, your team's going to see that too. And they're going to be yeah. like, yep, we all get our turn at the table. <laughs> uh huh. So. Well, that's great. I love that one. This has been such an enlightening and inspiring episode. I am so happy that I like we have several hosts of the show and I'm glad that I got to interview you and Kara. Um, This has been so great. Thank you so, so much for sharing your time and your knowledge and your experiences, not only with our audience, but selfishly with me, because I have found this episode just fantastic and inspiring. Thank you so much. Um, Sadly, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you, Jeff Smith. Thank you so much for sharing all of your information here on the Beef Podcast. If people want to learn more about Colorado craft beef um, or you or Kara specifically, like where can we send them to do that? Where would you like us to point people who are undoubtedly going to go and look up your business? Yeah, we are most active on Instagram. Uh, So just at Colorado craft beef. Uh, LinkedIn is always good if you want to get to us individually, but you can also just go through the website um, we're, we're very reachable. Uh, I haven't, I haven't graduated to the point of having an assistant that filters stuff out. So if you email <laughs> me directly, it lands on my phone. I, I'm not quite to that level yet. 
Okay. And is it coloradocraftbeef.com? It is absolutely it is. Yep. Okay. Yep. Spelled out all the way. Uh, new website dropped about a month ago. Snack sticks dropped last week. Pet treats drop early March. And then we've got even more stuff coming later in the year. So that is very exciting. I hope that we get, I want you on, you guys on the schedule. Maybe t- the next episode needs to be you guys together, you know, like in yeah. May or June or something like that. That would be great. So if you're listening audience, that is coloradocraftbeef.com as well as Instagram, Colorado Craft Beef. I have put those in the show notes for you so that you can find those. Again, thank you, Jeff, for joining us. And for those of the audience, thank you for tuning in. And we hope that you'll join us next week on the Beef Podcast. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.